Hello, and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore Experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart. In this episode, we're talking with Dan Solovey. Dan is uh, based out of the Boston, Massachusetts area and uh, is a Sitecore MVP. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, for folks listening in that may not uh, be familiar with your name, I, I know you, you've got a fairly prominent blog and I've done quite a bit of speaking in the in the Sitecore world, but um, kind of explain kind of who you are and, um, and what you do in your, your quote-unquote day job. Okay, so um, I guess my official title is Sitecore Practice Lead. I work at a, a platinum agency, Valier. Um, so there, I guess... Half of my time is, you know, typical Sitecore consultant working on projects for clients. Um, but a, a big chunk of my time is kind of steering, you know, how we look at doing Sitecore implementations as a as a company. You know, what the trends are in, you know, Sitecore as a platform and in you know the larger industry space, and also kind of, you know, raising the level of our development game as as an organization. And 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 you know, another passion of mine is really kind of forming a bridge between the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis in the larger Sitecore community. So for instance, uh, I have a, a little tradition whenever we have a Sitecore user group meeting, I um, have branded my Odyssey, the Dan Van, and I put mm-hmm. up a Dan Van sign-up list on Slack, and I, I say I have five, slot, five slots on it. And, you know, this, so we get, you know, rather than saying, ah, oh, you know, there's a user group, it's, you know, down downtown Boston, you should come down. You know, take out the obstacles, get everyone in. And then, you know, when we come back, we've all seen the demo on, let's say it's, uh, you know, um, Octopus Deploy. You know, everyone's seen it. We can talk about it. Does this make sense? Rather than, you know, having those conversations where, oh, I was at this user group. I saw something interesting, you know, but, you know, we don't have that shared. uh, We don't have that shared point of reference. Nice, nice. That's a. It's actually a good good tactic. I know when uh, I was in the agency world and, you know, we have a. I, I still run the the Milwaukee meetup. There have been times where we've, you know, we've kind of dealt with having to get attendance issues and so forth. We've been um, uh, kind of having repositioned the meetup lately. Uh, the attendance has been a lot better, but I, I could see uh, getting people, you know, less of an excuse of not to go definitely is constructive. Um, I know you and I have known each other for, for quite a while, and I think it would be worthwhile to go through, I think you, you coming to not only Sitecore, but the technology platform in general, I think is a, is an interesting story. I think you, you have a, you, know, you kind of took a non-traditional route to becoming a technologist. I wonder if you could touch on that a bit. Yeah. So my technical training, I like to joke is in medieval French literature. Uh, <laughs> Which, which leads directly to technology. I think at some point I realized that there was uh, one job a year in my field, and I, you know, kind of asked myself exactly what I was thinking. I didn't come up with a very good answer, so I, I started moving over to um, uh, to technology, and I actually just signed up for a night course in programming. I was like, okay, I in the moment of realization in my old field, um, I went to this thing called the Modern Language Association Convention, which is this big convention for people studying, you know, literature or English or French or whatnot. Um, they'd all meet in some city, maybe D.C. or Chicago, and all the interviews for the year would be in this two or three days. And I, I remember it was in Washington, it was a DuPont Circle. And I said, well, I have an interview with 
I don't know if it's Ohio State or University of Iowa. It's one of those four-letter states in the middle. And I, I sound like a real bi-coastal guy, I realize. But, uh, but um, you know, I said, I have an interview with them. And this person says to me, you have an interview as if this was winning the lottery. You know, meanwhile, my brother is a tech doc writer in Silicon Valley, and he's like, you know, worked for everybody. And I thought, gee, working in a field where, you know, there's more than one job a year would be a good thing. So what I had to get from the fact that I had this desire with the fact that I didn't have actually any, you know, um, formal training in this stuff. I had hacked around with, you know, started working on a chess program in C, you know, when I was supposed to be working on my thesis. But um, I hadn't really done anything professional. So I signed up for a night course and they it started with something called RPG, which is not role playing grenades or rocket propelled grenade uh, role playing games, or rocket propelled grenades or various other things. It's this language used by you know, it's a proprietary language owned by IBM and it's kind of used on things like hospital billing systems and whatnot. Right. So I started working with that and. It's not object oriented. It felt a little, eh, it's it good at a job, but it felt somewhat constrained. And so I started learning Java in my own time as kind of a, um, you know, like learn about object oriented programming. So I, I did this and I actually did all of, I prepared for the certification doing all the coding on Notepad. So I didn't get any IntelliSense or any of that, you know, like the reason why you have these things. And then at some point I had an opportunity. Um, I came up to, uh, to Boston area to take a job with a travel company. And um, my manager at the time was interested in developing capacity in .NET. So he kind of just gave me like, you want to start working on this on .NET? So I read about ASP.NET on the red line as I'm taking the train into work. And, you know, that immediately I noticed that, for instance, if you had an error message, you could Google it. And you would immediately get a response. And there was like something, uh, there was a community out there. And I was like, wow, this is different. And and that led to working on um, their web platform, which was built on uh, .NET 1.0, which Microsoft didn't even acknowledge existed. Um, Oh, yeah, we did. I I remember those days, I think. And there was a, I was on a project at the time. I was in Microsoft Consulting Services and we were constantly finding bugs and, and raising them up to the, the, the product team. And, and they were always like, Oh yeah, that's, that's fixed in the next version. Uh, and yeah, which, and, you know, and I can't, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the project name for .NET one, one, but it was, I mean, that was the, it was like, Oh yeah, that's fixed in project name. And yes. uh, yeah, it was just a constant reframe. One Oh, I mean, one Oh was, wasn't bad, but you know, one, one definitely uh, things, things, would come things up. up. You'd, you'd want to set the anchor point for, you know, when they come back, you know, you know, position the browser here. And, you know, that's in the API in one one and one oh, it's not. And you would have to like, okay, we could do this, we could do that. So anyway, we finally made the decision to go to Sitecore. And I went to Sitecore training and I just was really impressed at just the level of thought that went into the platform. You know, the fact that, you know, the Sitecore UI is built on top of Sitecore. The, um, I think it was placeholder settings. I really got, it was like a little light bulb. Like there's a lot of thought has gone into this. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, and then there was a user group that was a time when uh, uh, our fellow MVP Rick Cabral was starting the uh, Boston user group, um, and I think I went to meeting number two. I didn't realize that at the time, but just again, you know, coming from this, you know, technology stack that really didn't have a community, 
um, to having something that had user groups and bloggers. I felt like I was really coming into the sunlight. And you know, it took a while to move from someone that always went to the user group to actually giving a talk. Funny story, um, I had been working with um, uh, our friend uh, Mike Reynolds, and we were looking at some code, and um, it involved clones, and clones had just come out. And we'd gotten a piece of code from a vendor, and we were trying to troubleshoot some issues. And, um, you know, we started to realize, oh, clones just work just like standard values. Oh, I don't know if anyone else has blogged this. And, like, we, we both had this feeling of excitement that, like, we were, you know, looking at code. Like, we were some of the first people like, to really work through this API. And so I, I had this conversation with, um, with Rick after uh, a user group meeting. And I said, hey, we could do a talk on clones. And he said he hadn't worked with clones and kind of ended the discussion. And I said, oh, well, I have. And so he looks at me because he's done like the first 10 meetups solo. He says, oh, you're volunteering. And I kind of gulp. It's like, like, I guess so or something like that. And he has me on the calendar within a few weeks. So I'm like, ah, oh, it's not, yeah. the talk's not yet ready. I had to push it back a little bit. But that became my first talk. And that turned into, you know, uh, um, I ended up doing that as a webinar for, um, you know, the Hedgehog's uh, virtual uh user group and you know then like you once you start that pattern of putting content out it becomes kind of you know i'm speaking to a regular podcaster but it, it, it becomes addictive yeah yeah no it is it is and it's interesting i mean as a as a as one of the organizers of a user group anytime anyone volunteers like hey i could give a talk on or i know something about they don't even have to say they're going to give a talk but guess what you're going to get volunteered to to give a talk on that because <laughs> signed we're, up. we're we're constantly looking for people um uh, people to present on just interesting topics and there's always a you know a, a thirst out there of people you know attending these of yeah, I'll come learn about MongoDB or, or what have you, just because, you know, I think there's everybody's, you know, we're all trying to figure out this platform. It's it's incredibly complex. And during your day job, you're you're deep in the weeds on very, you know, you're you're trying to figure out workflow and you're trying to figure out, like, how come this isn't working? And you're you're you you've gone as far as you've got it open in dot peak and you're decompiling Sitecore's code just to try and understand how the dumb thing works. Um, to, to kind of come up for air and then have somebody talk about something completely different, it, it kind of helps you take the blinders off because you know oftentimes you're you're so deep in in the the, the product of trying to figure out a, a specific thing, you know it's it, it's having those user groups is a is a great way to um, kind of expose yourself to different thoughts, different ways of doing things, just even uh, just awareness of what else uh, the the platform can exactly. do. Exactly. I think that the biggest value I got out of it was finding out what I didn't know, you know? So, you know, Rick would mention wildcards and like, Oh, what are wildcards? Let me go look those up. Oh, okay. And that this is actually made it into my talk later on, but you know, it was this little words to Google, just knowing what is out there that other people are using and ways other people are looking at the platform is just, you know, you can always, if you if you have a specific well-formed question, you know, you get to a point where you get to be very good at looking it up. Sure. But if you don't even know what your question should be, that's a really hard situation to pull yourself out of. And you can't solo. You have to do it with other people. Right. Right. One of the, one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of get you on the show is, you know, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, for someone that didn't come up academically in in kind of the technology space, I, I would say, of, of kind of going through the 
the, the the halls of of you know science to kind of learn your your computer degree you have a very kind of theoretical and very architecture focused um approach to not only kind of everything you do but but Sitecore in, in general and I, I i think where i originally was first exposed to your work was uh it's a couple of years ago back at subcon north america when you did a talk on software testing and it was one of those i remember at the time um just kind of even up till then there was a lot of talk around test driven development it's a big kind of a big thing within the .NET community at large, the, the larger .NET community of, you know, it, it, you know, the benefits of, of, of software testing and, the, and unit testing and, and having kind of repeatable tests that you can do. The challenge that, you know, as a, as a .NET developer coming to Sitecore, like, yes, I want to do this. And then you look at it like, Oh, I got to spin up this whole Sitecore instance in order to test my code. Cause my code is being called, you know, whether it was, you know, at the time, like a sub layout, or if you're using when MVC came along, if you're, if you got controllers and so forth, um, all of that's not being called. It's kind of hard to write a test that called all that stuff. And I think you had a really, really good presentation on testing in the context of Sitecore. So I think before we kind of dive into that, maybe kind of, kind of go take a step back and why, you know, I think the, the concept of test driven development has been, uh, it's been covered elsewhere quite a bit, but like, why would somebody building a Sitecore site care about actually a repeatable tests like that? Oh, that's a great question. And thank you for the feedback on the talk. Yeah, I'd say you know, the biggest thing that you get when you have tests is that you have this, you keep an ability to, to work with your code. And we all get into this state when we're solving a problem where, you know, we've got what the requirements are in our head. We've got the code we're writing in our head. We've got, you know, the different factors. Oh, I got to check for this. I got to check for that. You write the whole thing and you get it working. You load the page and you do this, you log in, you put something into shopping cart or whatever it is. And you're confident it's working and then you put it away and then you go on to something else. And then when you come back to it, you just, because you will have to come back to it because, oh, it turns out once you add something to the shopping cart, this has to happen. Or, you know, if you're logged in, but you haven't gone through this workflow, then we need to do this or do, need to do that. Yeah, when you come back to it, you have this feeling of, uh, okay, I don't really, I want to make sure I don't break anything. So maybe you step through the workflow, but... Maybe you weren't the guy who wrote it. You know, maybe, you know, someone else wrote it. And now you have to, you kind of have this feeling of fear. And a friend of mine, I worked with this guy, uh, Ben Lipson, and he, I was kind of bringing him, he's become a real passionate test person himself. And a flipping point for him, we were working together on a project. And, you know, he, he was saying that, you know, he felt, you know, it was kind of painful that he, you know, he knew how to get something working, but he had to stop and write tests. And I, I'm a big believer in writing tests first. So I was trying to coach him in that direction. And, uh, you know, I asked the question, well, do you feel it's taking more time than you, than you'd like, you know, is it, is it the writing the test is taking more time or writing the test first? And he said, well, it's writing the test. And I said, well, then that raises the question, do the test provide value? He sort of kind of thought about that. And I left that there and we were working on, we were using a tool called NCrunch, which is not required, but is very nice. And what it, it basically runs a test for you, um, kind of as you type. It's kind of IntelliSense for tests. 
and it puts little green dots on the side of code that's covered by tests. Red dots if it's covered by tests is failing, and black dots if it's not covered by tests. And he had to work on the controller, add some logic. And he said that it wasn't covered by tests, and he felt fear that he had absolutely no idea what was going to break. But he knew something was going to break, <laughs> you know, because right. he knew there's no way I was going to work on this logic and add something or refactor to do whatever to make it more maintainable. Um, something's going to go wrong. And so once you start to have that uh, that feeling of, oh, I, I pulled this out, I pulled that out, this test broke, I looked at it, okay, that's why, that's expected, updated it. Once you have that feeling of having a safety net, that becomes that starts to provide real value. And, you know, you have the ability to go a lot faster later on because you, you're getting quick feedback. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think the other thing I'd add on that is, is, you know, at least in, in my experience is you also kind of have that confidence that I think we've all been on a project. If we're not testing that, you know, we're, Oh yeah, there's this bug. Oh, I know exactly what it is. You fix it. And then like a week later, some other part of the system is broken and you realize like, oh, it wasn't as simple a fix. I, you know, I, I fixed it at the wrong level. And now, you know, that fix caused something else to break. Whereas, like you said, if that code had coverage, um, you know, and coverage, meaning that, you know, there's a test that actually exercises that that code, then you would have known right away when like, hey, I got this fixed. Like, oh, wait a second. These these two other tests broke and you would have been out. You, you would have fixed that right away. As opposed to waiting for your yeah. users to find that error, you would have found it before you committed the code. And there, there are a few other things that, that you get out of it. One is that you're also starting to think about the stuff you write in terms of inputs and outputs. You know, like, okay, because if you want to test something, then just by definition, you're, you have two clients for the logic. You have the browser and when a person that actually is visiting the site, this is exercising this code, and you have your test. So by doing that, you're building a little bit of separation between the business logic that you're implementing because someone opened up a ticket and you got to get the ticket done and the, the things that feed into it, whether it's, you know, someone hitting a URL and you load a, you know, a cycle item based on, you know, let's say the, the URL you're on and has fields on it or whether values in a test. And by building that separation, you kind of, it's pushing you to write code in a non-monolithic way. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all opened up, you know, worked on, let's say, a rescue project, and you open up, um, you know, the, the main controller, and it's 800 lines long. Utility.js, <laughs> you know, utility.cs, uh, you know, utility and there's, yeah, exactly. you know, it's a class with, you know, 100 methods, um, each one, you know, a couple hundred lines a piece. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's it's definitely that. So looking at, you know, kind of when we're testing, I guess, what what are some of the pitfalls um, that Sitecore introduces when you when you kind of consider testing? I think a lot of there's a lot of kind of documentation out there on if we're just doing a plain old ASP.NET MVC project. Uh, it's, it's it's quite a well-worn path in terms of how do you how do you set up your tests? How do you run them? Um, but Sitecore adds a kind of a different wrinkle in there. And I guess what what are what are some of the pitfalls? Um when you when you start that, a couple of things. First of all, Sitecore is, you know, it's a web platform. Um, it is so it's designed to have to be running in the context of a web request. Now it turns out that that so if you just say, "Gee, I want to load," you know, the following bit of 
you know, I want to call psychor.context.item, but I don't actually have, I'm just going to do this in a unit test. A few things break. It turns out those are not that hard to fix. Um, it will look for um, configuration um, and it, it'll, without getting too deep into the weeds, it'll look for it in the wrong places and there's, there are ways to fix that. Um, but you are working in, you're working in something that is kind of tied to a browser and tied to a database. And, you know, if you look at, for instance, a Sitecore item, Sitecore, I believe the Sitecore item has a database as a property. So right there, you have this notion of, um, you know, you talk about fat objects and thin objects. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a term people sometimes use called POCO, which stands uh-huh. for plain old C-sharp object. And the idea there is that you, it's easier to work with stuff that is very lightweight. It's just got some fields on it, but it doesn't have a ton of knowledge about where it came from and all the different things it can do. And Sitecore in its origin has kind of these kind of heavy objects that are hard to create and have a lot of things tying them back to the database and so forth. Um, And so you, people have taken approaches to this. So a couple of really nice libraries that are out there that deal with this. One is, and one of many, but the one I know best is the glass wrapper ORM system. So what that basically does is instead of dealing with Sitecore items, you deal with classes that you write or you generate that are very lightweight and that you can easily create kind of fake versions of using, um, and I, stop me if I'm going too deep into weeds here, sure. but you know, there are tools like, um, MOQ you know, or N substitute um, that you know, people that are into unit testing use that create fake versions of the outside world. So let's say you have business, suppose you have logic that works with, um, you know, time of day and you want to have different, lo- you know, classic example, you want to have different logic if it's, you know, you know, after midnight versus before midnight. Well, you normally the way, if you have to test this and make sure it works the right way, given the time of day, you know, the, classic old thing you do is you change your system clock. You know, any of us that are old enough to remember Y2K, you know, remember changing the system clock to January 1. Oh, uh-huh. does it break? Does it work? And then you realize, okay, that's not a that's not an automatable approach. That's not something that, you know, you can do that and check it, but you can't make that part of your build process. So people have built these frameworks that will take anything that is an interface or a abstract class, for example, mm-hmm. and can make a fake version. I like to call these kind of uh, holodeck from yeah. the old Star Trek show where, you know, um, Captain Picard would go into the holodeck and would make it, you know, midi- you know medieval France or uh, England during the time of Sherlock Holmes or whatever. Sure, sure. You can change. You can basically create any kind of context you want with these items. In order for this to work, you need to be dealing with something that is abstract because these tools can then kind of step in and change their behavior. Right. Yeah, I think you make a good point. You're not trying to test, you know, getting the item itself and does it have its database. You're just trying to test, does your logic detect, you know, is it after midnight? And that's all your test really needs. So it's not like you need... Uh, you need that full object. You just need the data that's on it. So I think and, that, that, and, and if, if I can jump on that point, even the word test is a bit of a misnomer. You know, you're not testing the way that a QA quality assurance person is testing. Um, you are there's a, a guy I follow, Robert Martin, sometimes goes by Uncle Bob. He had a blog post I really liked. Um, 
written a lot about testing and a lot about software design and solid principles and so forth. He had a blog post where he compared unit testing to double entry bookkeeping. So you basically, you know, you have since so money doesn't disappear, you have, and I, I'm not going to go too deep into accounting vocabulary because I'll, I'll, I'll show my lack of knowledge. But basically, you have two different entries, so that you know that, you know, the the books are balanced. Yep. In the yep. same way, you deliver a feature in two different places. You deliver the feature to the user, so they only if they're logged in can they see this content. And then you also deliver that in a test that lives on, so that the feature doesn't become undelivered when someone else works on something. And it just kind of stays there as a little witness. That, yep, I'm doing this thing and I'm doing that thing. So, and that brings you a bunch of really good benefits. It means that someone else who's looking at the code can then look at this list, this kind of itemized inventory of the things it does and how you use it. And that's still there. And that becomes kind of part of kind of part of your infrastructure. So you, when you, whenever you push in a commit to your source control, we make sure that all those things are still there. And then it also, you start thinking in terms of before you start hacking on that 800 line uh, method, you know, what are the things that I'm trying to do? And that's why I'm kind of a big believer in the, the, the writing the test first thing is it kind of anchors you in, I'm trying to do this thing. Got it working. Trying to do that, it, it leads you to breaking apart problems into really small slices and keeping in a working state. Sure, sure. And I, I'd even say that's probably even the biggest thing. I, you know, I, I was working with a developer, and he was he was doing an upgrade, and he was in a non-compiling state, and he said he wouldn't be able to compile for several, like another hour or so more. And I just the idea that you could be changing code with no feedback just terrified me like you know like how much could go wrong while you were in it's like wandering into the woods and to the point where you can no longer see the path and right. just assuming that you'll turn around and you'll walk back to the path well maybe you you got lost and and that's kind of where like that whole you know the the tight feedback cycle of, of test driven development is really kind of you know polluted my brain to the point where i just can't imagine living without that kind of feedback sure sure so i think you know we look at someone who kind of they're they're in their car they're driving to work or i don't know maybe they're doing the dishes and they're kind of nodding their head like yeah dan i i, I get this is this is what i want to do how do how do i get started because it, it can i i i can say from experience it's daunting to think of i've got this huge code base and now you know maybe we didn't do test you know we didn't Sure. Write our tests first. Um, or, you know, I think back to the size of some of the Sitecore implementations I've done. I'm like, wow, that is, I mean, that's almost going to double the amount of code. Like, where where do you kind of start? What are the, you know, what what is kind of step zero to kind of dip your toe in the water, so to speak? Because I think that's an easier way. And I liken it to when I when I talk to marketers about getting started on the Sitecore platform and they they really want to do personalization, but they're 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 paralyzed with, you know, this paradox of choice of like, oh, do I personalize this or that or this or that? And it's like, pick one thing, find your baby step, do it once, see how it feels kind of. So where, where is that kind of baby step for getting started with testing? So what, what is the, the, you know, the, the low, the low hanging fruit, I would say for almost every single Sitecore implementation of, you know what, this is an easy test to write. You can get into it, make sure you've got your tooling set up. You can, you you can learn about different test libraries. You can try them on for size and figure out which one works best for you. I guess where where's that first step? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I, I'd say so. You know, there's things that can help, and let's assume you don't have any of them. So, for instance, Cycler eight two introduces a lot of you know new stuff that helps testing. So, suppose you're on Cycler six something. Okay, MVC helps. Well, suppose you're on web forms. You know, you take a, let's take away all the things that would make tested or designed to make testing easier. I would say, and this is how I got started. You get some requirement, and rather than dumping those new 20 lines of code in your 600 line method, you say, I'm going to create a class. You know, maybe I'm making a decision whether to issue a redirect. Um, and, you know, the, the th things that feed into the, it are, you know, some value of, you know, the, on the user's profile and some, a checkbox on a settings item in Sitecore. And you look those up maybe in your 600 line method, but now you put them into the constructor of a class. And that class is separate and that class is covered by a test. And even before you write the class, you just, you know, write a test at my redirect decider. Um, if passed in this and passed in this, you know, uh, user logged in equals true equals false. Page requires login equals true. Um, you know, redirect to homepage, you know, the redirect to homepage should return true, whatever. You know, some kind of business requirements come for the ticket. You write that in a test and you write just enough code to get that to pass. And so what you've done is you've taken a little bit of business logic and rather than it going into this 600 line method, it's gone into this small class that has one job and has the support of some tests. So you're already starting to move yourself from big chunks to little small chunks that have one job. Um, and I, personal experience I had, and which is where I kind of became religious about testing, is I had to implement a bit of business logic for um, a commerce site, and it was a coupon validator. And I had the requirements. Um, I don't remember the details, but I remember there were very specific requirements about um, the values on the coupon field and, and, and the user and the particular product or products in the shopping cart. And I did that TDD and I had my little coupon validator class, you know, and it's like you end up with very little code when you write TDD because there's a lot of kind of extra code you put in to make yourself confident that doesn't come in. If your confidence is going into the test, it's a kind of weird little phenomenon. The tests get bigger and the code gets smaller. Um, so I had my little will, really well-architected class, and I had to test. And then I realized I completely misunderstood the requirements. I thought I was validating at the shopping cart level, and it turned out I had to validate at the order line level. And this was kind of, you know, in the last day or two before we were supposed to go to code freeze. And I was like, you know, oh, crap moment. And it turned out I could send my little coupon validator class without any code changes into operate at the order line level, and it just worked. And it was kind of like, wow, if I had just buried those 20 lines in my 600-line method, I'd be looking at staying here to midnight, trying to figure out how to get this thing to work in a completely different way. But because I put that code in a separate object, and it was rigorously separated from the rest of the solution, Mm -hmm. And the its boundary, it, you know, what it did was defined by these tests. I suddenly had the ability to cope with a change in requirements. It's probably my fault. Maybe I didn't ask the right questions. I don't remember the details, but I remember that awful feeling of like, oh, I have to do this, and I was fine. And that was when I kind of started having the feeling that this 
way of writing code, you know, I called it kind of my guardian angel. Sure, <laughs> it sure. looked after me. It pushed me in certain directions. And I, it's kind of pushed everyone in those directions. If you've looked at what, like, Microsoft has done um, with ASP.NET or what Sitecore has done with Sitecore 8.2, they've started breaking things apart in exactly this way into these small chunks that are all substitutable. And, you know, what, what you test and what you build through testing and through testability, you end up with these, you know, the, the Lego pieces aren't glued together. The Lego pieces can be taken apart. And, and that just, you know, that just reserve, you know, that, that's the business value is that you have the ability now to make changes very quickly and very easily. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it's it is definitely a testament to TDD or test driven development, as you say. Of uh, of it, it forces you into that mindset of breaking things down into very small pieces that are that are individually verifiable on their own. Um, and it's always a great it's, it's always a great approach because it kind of now stuff you know it's not stuff's not dependent on each other. Of you know every time I change the cart, I have to worry about the the account page because you know the, the, that code is 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 well separated um so just by by writing those tests first keeping it separated um you, you come up with a lot more kind of robust system that's that's a lot more flexible and and i would look for i would look for your 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 low-hanging fruit your opportunities you know for instance if you're writing code that deals with regular expressions you will absolutely want to have tests covering that because you know you're going to turn out oh my reg my regex is missing this case i have to add a you know left brace dot something or other you know i mean the regular expressions are a whole special world of pain and you know you've they're already your regex is already doing five or six things and when you need to you, need, you realize oh but i didn't think of this you know then you get into that classic whack-a-mole problem yep Yep. It's like, oh, and it's no longer doing that. And that's, that's, I said, you know, another big value you get is that you pin down the five things you know it's doing. And then you can do six and seven. And when you've got absolute confidence it's doing those seven things, then you can say, oh, I wonder if I even need this check. Let me take it out. Okay, still doing those seven things. And so your code has this ability to get groomed and become cleaner and cleaner and simpler and simpler. And, you know, and not like, oh, we're going to spend the next week refactoring it or next month. It's like, no, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes removing this line, you know, and that becomes a kind of a regular part of what you do. Now, again, regular expressions, that's night Sitecore. So, you know, you can come with Sitecore specific things, yeah. but the idea is look for those opportunities where this is a very defined, somewhat gnarly thing. Hmm. Let me write a few tests around this. And then you start, you know, for me, it grew organically. This code I wrote that way. You know, I would get these kind of benefits back. And so it became a bigger and bigger part of how I how I did stuff. And then someone asked me to give a talk on it because I was kind of a you know enthusiast for it. And it was uh, Doug Kudo, I think, asked me, like, can you give a talk on TDD? And at that point, like you've become branded. You become the TD, you become the testing guy. You know, uh -huh. and you, you can never Cam Figgy. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm name dropping all these MVPs, but they're they're good stories. I, he, he was judging my uh hackathon entry and i didn't have any tests you know because it's three in the morning i didn't have any tests and uh he like sent me a whole series of memes of absolute astonishment and horror so this year in the hackathon i had a issue on my issue tracker that said make sure i write tests to keep cam figgy happy sure sure <laughs> kind of coming up on time here i want to uh 
make sure that we, um, I, I feel like we could talk about this forever, but if people are interested in finding out kind of more about testing and not so much testing, but testing as it applies to Sitecore and kind of some, some actionable stuff, um, where, where should they look? I know you've got a series of blog posts. Um, you know, what, what are some resources they can look at? Yeah, um, so I've got some stuff out there. I'd say the number one place to look would be a project called uh, Sitecore Fake DB. It's up on GitHub. Um, I, I can the the author of it is someone who works at Sitecore Ukraine. I usually butcher his name. I think Sergei Shuzlyapin, but Sitecore Fake DB is a thing to remember. And what this does is um, it basically can create an in-memory Sitecore database. So it's not creating. It's not creating items on, you know, in SQL Server. It's actually you're just defining them with a kind of a declarative statement. Sure. And, you know, this really, you don't need to take up MVC. You don't need to take up, um, you know, or start, you know, moving over to glasses are both good things to do. But it really allows you to just immediately start writing unit tests that, that, um, um, that work with Sitecore items. Um, and then I'd say another another really good place to look is um, the Cycler uh, Habitat project shows a lot of how you can you know there is it's kind of a demonstration project and each I don't know if each module in it but many of the modules in it have unit tests and show you approaches to unit testing with Cycler it uses FakeDB as well and then um, finally I would start looking at if you're if you are on the latest version of Cycler. Um, just start, you know, it it ships now with a lot of goodies that make testing much, much easier to do. Um, it ships with, um, for example, dependency injection, which basically means that rather than creating objects, you can have them given to you and you can define them in terms of interfaces. And so that you can now that works really well, the kinds of tools I described earlier. So I'd say, you know, the roadmap is. First thing, when you're writing a new piece of functionality, um, see if you can write it in a separate class. You knew up that class inside your code, but at least you know exactly what the inputs and outputs are. And then the next level is start looking at tools like Sitecore FakeDB that allow you to work with Sitecore not as a browser and as a SQL Server database, but as something that you can create in tests. And then finally, start looking where Sitecore is going. Nice, nice. Where can people find you? You know, if they if they haven't already, uh, already, where where can they find you online? So I am pretty active on Twitter at at Dan Solovey, um, and I also have a blog, um, also dansolovey.com, and I also blog on my company uh, website valir.com/slash blog. And um, I am also somewhat active on the Sitecore Slack channel. So we have uh, that's uh, I think Sitecore Chat dot slack dot com and we have a uh, channel devoted to testing so that's mm -hmm. a you know good place to ask questions and there's also a cycle stack exchange um i probably the best way if you really want to get me to answer a question is uh you know mention me on twitter <laughs> that's sure. the fastest way to get me yeah yeah and we'll get links to all that in the show notes dan i i appreciate the time i uh, appreciate you uh Kind of stepping out of uh, stepping out of work for a little bit and uh, jumping on the show it, again. Thanks, thanks for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Real treat. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. 
There, you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm. That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.